Hello, and welcome to the Brain Mastery Podcast, brought to you by ABI Wellness. This series features renowned experts on brain injury, brain health, and rehabilitation. Be sure to visit abiwellness.com for more resources. This isn't the voice you're used to hearing when kicking off an episode of this podcast, but fear not, loyal listeners, that voice is going to appear momentarily. My name is Scott Rintoul, and it is my pleasure to be the one who welcomes you to this episode of the Brain Mastery Podcast. It's an episode that is going to feature the regular host of this pod on the other side of what is going to be another compelling conversation. And with that, it is my distinct pleasure to welcome the co-founder and CEO of ABI Wellness and the regular host of the Brain Mastery Podcast, Mark Watson. Is it okay if I welcome you to your own podcast? Is that proper etiquette? Sounds good to me. <laughs> I'm open, Scott, and thanks again for doing this. It's, uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation. And so am I. And before we get to that, I think we should give people a little bit of context as to why I'm even here today and why you're on the other side of the microphone, if you will, for this episode. You and I have known each other loosely for a very long time, and then in the last few months came back into contact, and that started a conversation between the two of us. Oh, exactly. And, you know, uh, Scott, you know, uh, why we wanted to go this direction was to really uh, generalize a little bit better the nature of some of the work that we're committed to doing around, you know, brain health initiatives and really to to share um, with the listeners uh, a little bit more about the impacts of some of this work, but also kind of the hope for future in some of this work. And I think you're going to bring a great lens to this conversation. So it's weird being on this side of it, but uh, but I'll, I'll do my best, Scott. I'll do my best. And for those who do not know me, which is probably the vast majority of you listening, I'm a professional broadcaster. I've worked in the sports world for most of my career, which encompasses the last couple of decades. And so the perspective I bring in and the gateway for me into this conversation, Mark, was the number of conversations I've had and what I've learned personally over the last number of years about concussions and the detrimental effects for those who do not recover very well from concussions, many of whom are still suffering today. And that was sort of our jumping off point where you and I launched into this. A hundred percent, Scott. And it, I mean, that's where I was, as I've shared with you, you know, when I started into a lot of this work, my curiosity was into concussion recovery and kind of linking that along with, I think something that you'll touch on some of the models that are currently used in physical recovery. And then trying to better understand, okay, what can we learn from how productive and targeted we apply that into some of the, the cognitive work that we're so focused on? Well, and that's really a big part of this conversation, Mark, is there have been methods in place for a long time. And many of those methods, as you point out and I point out, they help a lot of people. And no one wants to get away from that. Anything that can help people recover from any type of cognitive function that has been challenged, everybody's in favor of that. However, it doesn't work for everybody. And one of the biggest things that patients seem to struggle with, and people I know have struggled with, is trying to actually assess where they're at. Oh, 100%. You know, that's something that gives me a lot of optimism, Scott, is working in this space, you know, seeing that there's more and more assessments coming out that can be valid and more reliable and brain-based. I think that is going to give us a great insight into how to have further impact in the rehabilitation journey for people with concussion. But 
this is going to take a lot of time, right? Like with anything, right? It's going to take time for these assessments to become more kind of readily available to all of us. But then the big question that we're left with is, well, what do you do now, right? And and I'm sure you've had people who you know in your life, Scott, who've struggled, you know, following, you know, an illness or an injury and in need of of some form of help. Well, you know, I just don't think it's good enough to say, oh, you're going to have to wait. It's no, let's have informed consent, informed awareness, and get access to the kind of treatments that could help now, right? Because that life needs help now. (laughs) I think it's a great point. It really is. And it's one thing to wait for studies and data to come out, but there are people that are dealing with this in very real time. And I come in this as basically a neophyte in this space relative to you and many of the experts who are working in neuroplasticity and working around cognitive function. So as someone who isn't in this space on a regular basis, Mark, where are we at in general? In general, where are we at when it comes to treatment for people who have lost cognitive function to whatever degree? Yeah, I mean, so that's kind of the standard of care. Keeping in mind from where where I sit, you know, we're both in in the Vancouver area and in British Columbia and Canada. And I think in the acute care stage, let's say it's a traumatic brain injury, um, there's remarkable care available. In many major metropolitan cities in North America, there's a lot of remarkable you know, paramedics and neurosurgeons available that are doing just amazing work. But typically, if somebody struggles with cognition, you know, following the acute phase of recovery, which is around three months, let's say, give or take, when there's a cognitive deficit present, the standard of care is to compensate uh, typically around those persisting cognitive deficits or to get access to good physiotherapy to kind of treat vestibular symptoms, which can be a problem, you know, get access to counseling, which can obviously be needed and get access to, you know, in some cases around stroke, you know, speech therapy for things like aphasia. The issue with this care model is it's quite disaggregated. It's quite problematic for the patient. And really, you know, just to back up a little bit, when we started this work, Scott, it did start with research. You know, it actually started right there. And when we started the organization, again, ABI Wellness, because we don't always talk about that on this show, Scott, it's really about, you know, everyone and, and what they're doing in this space. But when we started ABI Wellness, it was pure inquiry. As you and I have talked about, it was really, can people with chronic cognitive symptoms actually leverage neuroplasticity for positive uh, gain in their life? And we approached the faculty of medicine at the University of British Columbia with that research question and a remarkable team of individuals over there took on that question and found that, yes, as kind of my bias was going into it, I believed, of course, that that one could uh, restore cognitive function using uh, a program that was developed by a mentor of mine, Barbara Aerosmith Young, who's a, a kind of renowned neuroplastician in this cohort of about 12 people with chronic cognitive dysfunction, yes, they could all gain and improve. And that gives us hope. Like for all the listeners out there, man, there's no finish line, right? You can change, right? You can change, you can improve just like you can physically, right? You see people out there, you know, I think a Martin Parnell, somebody I got to know over the years, he's a marathon runner and he's got in his seventies and he's running every day, you know? So the brain has a remarkable capacity for change and improvement, Scott. 
Well, and this is what resonates with me, Mark. And you and I come from athletic backgrounds, perhaps not at the top level that people that other other listeners may know. You got to use that loosely with me, Scott. The, the very me loosely. as well. Okay. Me as well, especially for those who know my my physical dimensions. But you and I come from a place in athletics where if you suffer some type of injury, that bone, that muscle, it may never be exactly what it was prior to the injury, but you can get it back very close in many cases or as good as possible and function extremely well. And what resonates with me about neuroplasticity, despite the fact I don't work in neuroscience and that I don't work in this field, is that the brain is the most remarkable part of the body to me. So to tell me that the brain doesn't have the ability to change and adapt, whereas other parts of my body do, I'm sorry, there's, there's a disconnect with me. Obviously, the brain can. If it couldn't, we couldn't improve ourselves at later stages of life. 100%. And I think that's something that, you know, it's about time we got a professional running this podcast show. You know, that is really what it's all about here is helping people to better understand the changes possible throughout a lifetime. And, you know, it's something that, you know, some of our listeners may be aware of, you know, I've gone through some challenges in my life with my health. And when I was sick with cancer, I remember there was, was options, right? It was like, okay, this is our standard course of care. Here's option A. What do you think about option B? Option C could have been, you know, fully natural. You know, there was a few different doors to knock on and, and, and explore a little bit further. And when I looked at, you know, the problem of brain injury in our communities, uh, and it really started here in Vancouver, when we're more chronic, there are options. You can go to physiotherapy. You can go to an interdisciplinary rehabilitation clinic. It's a mouthful, but it can be hard to get access to all of the different modalities of care that one might need in order to experience the best recovery possible based on what science is telling us one might want to do. Well, that leads to another interesting conversation, at least in my mind it does, because I think we've all over the course of this pandemic had a greater appreciation for our healthcare professionals. And one thing I know is that people get into healthcare, the vast majority get into it and stay in it because they want to help people. That is the foundation for why they are there. And I choose to believe that's why people function in that field. The real question based on what you just said is, do those people have enough tools? Do those people need more options to treat a loss of cognitive function? Heck yeah, absolutely. And I think, like I said, with, with assessment, there are so many great companies out there addressing that need. And I'm just so, again, I'm hopeful. Now, you know me, I'm a pretty optimistic guy. I choose to be that way, but this is with good reason is there is very good assessments coming. So please be patient. But in the meantime, if you're experiencing those cognitive deficits, this is for the professionals out there. You know, part of what we want to do as a company is help because, you know, you can't track what you can't measure, right? And what gets measured gets managed. Drucker, you know, it's important and it's not being measured properly out there today. It can be done better. There are programs out there like ours that can help and help make each hour that one invests as a clinician in your patient more accountable for you and also better for the patient. And so, yes, there are tools out there that are better. And I believe that we're at the tip of the iceberg of being able to have a really, really more proactive 
recovery process for people with these challenges. Because when we think about when new innovations happen, one of the resources I like to think about is, well, you'd know Malcolm Gladwell, right, Scott? Would, sure yes, absolutely. Many of our listeners would. And he wrote a, a really fascinating book, David and Goliath. And in one of the chapters, they're talking about the advent of, of medical innovation. And one of them they were talking about was chemotherapy. How it came to be is a challenging story to even tell, but it was a, it, working with a cohort of, of patients that were pediatric with leukemia. Okay. The mortality rate was very poor and you know, many kids were dying and it took a good hematologist to ask the right question. And then to, to look at that question and say, okay, what can we do to further treat these symptoms and how can we approach this from a cellular level to try to improve outcomes? And sadly, many more patients uh, died, but ultimately what yielded from that through asking the good questions was the advent of what is now today chemotherapy combined therapies. So I think that what we've done at ABI is we, we said, okay, this cognitive program makes a lot of sense. It's driving change. However, some of the people I've worked with, been fortunate enough to spend time with, couldn't fully engage in that yet. One woman had an anoxic uh, brain injury, which we've heard a lot about in Vancouver and around the world, is the, the overdose crisis. Well, she couldn't fully engage in that, but she could walk every day and we could track that. She could engage in mindfulness every day. She could engage in counseling every day. And then slowly over time, started to dose in more of that cognitive work. Well, how does that compare to the standard of care? The standard of care was to go get up, go to the methadone clinic, come home. Well, what's that teaching that individual? This is the big thing for me, Scott, is we need to provide more options, but we also need to empower people and expect more of people. You know, And part of me scratches my head is that, grade one kid with dyslexia who had to go outside that room to get special help. And it was like, but am I not capable of reading in that classroom like everybody else? If we eliminate hope, then we eliminate possibility of change. At least in my mind, we do. And if we want to use the analogy of chemotherapy that you brought up and treatment for a form of cancer, well, some people respond to chemotherapy. Others respond to radiation. There may be some who respond to holistic methods, but there need to be options because if option A isn't working, option B isn't working, let's see a C, a D, and E. I'm a father. You're a father. I can't imagine having a child that had lost some form of cognition and being told, well, that's all we can do. But knowing that there's something else out there, and as a parent, as somebody who might be fighting for their own life and a better way of life, I want to know what's available to me if what I'm doing isn't working well enough for me. I love that, Scott. And it's happening every day. And many of our listeners here are nodding along as you say that. Sadly, it's happening every day. And that's why, you know, things like, like this, like, like having this conversation and sharing it publicly is so important because we need people in the community to understand you do have options, right? And there's two sides of that coin. Having been, you know, a private school administrator in my past, oh well, you you of course want them in your schools to for your for the operation for the business of that. Yes, absolutely. However, I also, you know, in the schools that we ran under my mentor Howard Eaton, in that work, we found and he found through inquiry that there was a better way for a certain subset of the population that had these these chronic cognitive issues. And my advice to every parent that I worked with in those schools when they were transitioning out of the school, because it was almost like physical therapy for the brain, Scott. 
um, an easy way to explain it. So they were, it was a transition school and they were with us for about three years. And at the end of like halfway through year two, I would go meet with the other schools and many of the parents, it was such a traumatic experience in that school environment that they wouldn't even consider the public school option. Wow. There was a lot of that, Scott. And I am a big proponent of public education. Okay. Both my kids are in, are in public school. I said, no, you don't even know what you're saying no to. Why are you saying no to that? Well, because of, this was my experience 20 years ago or 15 years ago. I'm like, well, it's a new day today. And then you need to understand what the goalposts are. And I think it's, a, it's the same thing applies, Scott, on concussion care and brain injury care. You know, our public hospitals are, are taxed, especially today. You know, a lot of the community-based programs are challenged with all the other, you know, priorities that they have. And we're trying to be, like with many other organizations, a conduit that can help provide more options for people in community. Well, and I think what you're saying, what I'm hearing anyway, is, look, if traditional method works for you, awesome. Awesome. I want you to get better. However, if we have a better way to measure something for a person who is struggling, if we have a better way to treat a person who is struggling because a traditional method or what is currently in practice hasn't worked, we need to be able to use that. So Mark, how do we get that tool? How do we get these tools in the hands of those who are going to distribute them and actually use them with patients? Yeah, that's a great that's that's the question, right? You know, to rewind, we started with research. We found something. The data were presented at World Congress on Brain Injury. We ended up hiring a neuroscientist on our staff. Um, and for people in community out there, I, I hear from them all the time. We train up. We basically, ABI Wellness partners with organizations, and we license them to offer our model of care. And we work together to help them to uh, extend their impact further. If, if treating cognition is hard, which for most people I have had the privilege to meet with, it's very hard. And um, typically we use compensatory strategies. And what that means, a nice way of saying is kind of like workarounds to address this issue. And in some cases, that's the best you can do, right? But in a lot of this population, we can do better. And now that we've done some of the work that we've done and some of the research that we've done, I feel a huge sense of responsibility, Scott. There's a mutual colleague we were talking about who we know and we won't name, but you know, this person's struggled with concussion stuff for a long time. And it's been really isolating, you know, not even being aware of some of the options that are out there. It's not right, you know, and, and that's part of doing this piece is to is to help raise awareness for people that there's more options out there for you. And, you know, I go back to, you know, friends and family who, you know. If, if when I tore my ACL, it was, sorry, we don't have the right surgery yet. You're going to have to wait. Here's some crutches and hang in there, buddy. <laughs> you know? Well, and as you mentioned that, again, if we want to use that analogy and apply it to what we're talking about here, it's one thing to tear your ACL and to get a rehabilitation program. You need to be able to know it's working. And some of that's going to be by feel and how you are day to day. But as knee injury and technology came along as, as we got better at treating that, we found out, okay, here's how we can test the strength of your ACL. Here's right. how we can monitor that progress. That's been a challenge in the cognitive world. And yet a part of the platform that you have is the ability to track progress. Yeah. So I'm reminded of a client we worked with early on in this work. And he was actually, um, you know, worked as a first responder and had a history of concussion from hockey and uh, had a, a series of strokes as well. 
and had been off work uh, a couple of times. And we actually had the opportunity to speak with his insurer as well. And his insurer said, okay, that's interesting. You have some research, really cool, but we're concerned. You know, we obviously want to ensure that progress is tracked properly. And at that time, progress was tracked like many by running record, meaning notes and those sorts of things, but that's hard to scale. So we actually got to work on developing our application to further track day-to-day, hour-by-hour progress of everybody involved in the program so that we can see for the client how well they're engaging and they can see for themselves, but also for the insurer, for places like ICBC who have covered the program. That's our insurance, uh, auto insurance here in British Columbia. Don't leave any comments about that. It's not about that. I choose to believe everybody's doing the best they can, okay? But with that, that is a significant struggle, uh, Scott, that I really understand. And so we, we track everything against your own baseline because you're only like Garmin says, or Strava says, I, one of the two, you know, get 1% better every day, right? You're only competing against yourself. And, uh, that's really, you know, a, definitely a key element of what we do. So that's a part of it. And to me, that's a reinforcing portion of the program, Mark. And again, apply that to whatever challenge you've had in your life. But if you see actual results and you see actual data, and this is, we can show you it's working. Man, that fuels your soul. And we're talking about a physiological side of things, but from a psychological point of things, it's so important to believe in what you're doing because without that, it is, I mean, the mountain gets three, four, five times as big unless you believe in what you're doing and can see that progress is being made. A hundred percent. And I think the last part you said is, is so great. And it was where we were at before was the assessments we would do would be, you know, like almost like annually. So it was like, okay, am I really making progress here or not? And in the world of kind of, you know, brain health, there's a lot of slick operations out there that, well, you know me, I'm no marketing whiz, right? But, you know, I, I like the clinical stuff. And, and that's where, you know, I feel such a sense of responsibility. And it's really, Scott, from former clients saying, more people need to know about this work, you guys. You're doing not a very good job getting the word out. And that's part of why I reached out to you, Scott, was I was like, I need help getting the word out because, you know, there's been so many people, one of them living in his brother's basement, 26 years post-injury thinking this is the best it gets, not even realizing that there were options out there. And it's just, it's so troubling for me. The other piece, when you think about this work, there's an issue of transfer. Okay. And what that means is let's say someone does something like biofeedback exercise. Okay. So am I just experiencing more, you know, what the application is saying of calmness, or is that actually transferring into my ADLs, which our OT people are all nodding as they listen to this activities of daily living, right? So am I, how's my high personal hygiene getting, how's my attendance at work getting, and how am I managing my relationships, right? So not only seeing internal cognitive change, but actually looking at the generalization of that change into the things I do every day that help me live a better life. When you and I have had these discussions in the past, and part of the reason I just from a citizen of Vancouver of the world point of view wanted to be involved with this and why I think it's so important, Mark, is that I don't care what your politics are. Like We could go out on the street right now and randomly ask every single passerby we saw, hey, do you believe that people deserve an opportunity to be as healthy as possible, we'd get 100% return on yes. We would. Now, they'd ask questions and they'd say, well, at what cost and what's that going to look like? But they'd want to have the options put in front of them. 
People understand that. That's relatable to anyone. The opportunity to be as healthy as possible. A hundred percent. And in this space, it's ripe for disruption. It's right to get better. And I guess part of the piece here for us is we're going to need help on getting that messaging out there. You know, we're building community here, right? And Scott, I'm so grateful to have your help um, with some of this because, you know, whether it was someone with a glioblastoma, which is a rare, a very aggressive brain tumor, or somebody's had multiple concussions, or the grandfather that's had a history of stroke, uh, or everything in between, this community needs your help. And so does the practitioner who's been struggling trying to find the right tool. You know, they're trying to dig the hole with a tiny little rake, <laughs> right? Some of the time. And God, the persistence of those professionals. I just I get goosebumps talking about it because I'm fortunate enough. I get to meet many of these professionals and their vision for their work is to help people live truly more independent and better lives. And they're already doing it in a lot of the ways that we were talking about on physical and some elements of cognitive. I look at some of the speech therapists out there. Some of the work they're doing is just remarkable. But on this part of it, we need your help. So, if, you know, th this kind of message, it really does matter. Like, you know, share it, you know, download it, tweet it, whatever, hashtag it, whatever. Get it out there because you never know where it might meet someone, you know, right when they needed it. You know, that young man who was in his brother's basement for a long time, not young anymore. And he was like, I didn't realize that I could live this good again. I had surrendered to the fact that that was simply not an option. I love the example of speech therapy because a lot of people listening either know someone or who I guarantee have heard someone that they didn't realize had a speech impediment or some type of block to communicating properly and later in life have found a way through neuroplasticity to improve themselves. And that to me is just proof in the pudding that neuroplasticity can work and it can work for a lot of people. And unfortunately, those people didn't have the right tool in place to get them there earlier in their life. But you talk to those people and I know many, I know many people, I know people who work in that space. You talk to people who have gone through it, seen improvements in their life and what a difference it makes to them. Honestly, it's like, they get a light turned on where they've been living in the dark to a certain degree and the change it makes. And if we can make that change for other people and we can help other people get there in the world that you and I are talking about today, I'm all for that. I want a better place to live and I want more people to have a better quality of life. Oh, 100%, Scott. I mean, for us, you know, full disclosure, I'm a cognitive nerd. So I like that stuff. Like when I, when I hear about, you know, changes in like your, you know, your neuropsych assessment, that gets me really excited because I know what that means. And that's a valid, reliable measure. However, most people don't, but they do know if they could, they could manage a relationship better. They do know if they can, you know, get up each day and, and feel a sense of optimism and hope because not a false sense, because their capacities are higher than they were before. And we see that all the time physically. I mean, I've been talking with you a little bit about the, the running journey. You know, for me, it's been really a remarkable experience because I'm tracking everything. I'm, I'm curious. I'm looking at it. I'm getting coaching. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm enjoying it. And when I see so many of our, the people out there, you know, one of the big indicators of this challenge cognitively can be, you know, inability to work. And uh, 
So Sean Porter, you know, who's on our staff as a neuroscientist, I had him peek into the data of our return to work rates. And, you know, they're significantly, significantly higher than the, the standard. And why is that, Scott? Well, I think the blended care model makes a big difference because you're, you know, a lot of the standard programs out there are three months long, just like ours, but they're not fully blended and they're not neuroplastic. And the other part about neuroplasticity, I've been, I mean, my poor wife at dinner parties and stuff, I'd, I'd be in the corner talking about neuroplasticity and everybody's like, who's, who's neuroplasticity guy? Like tell them to switch to decaf. But you know, now you're hearing this word, you know, the fact that you've heard this word, right. And there are other good organizations doing work in this, which is wonderful to hear. But, you know, if you're an educator, you're a neuroplastician. Okay. Cause all neuroplasticity, you know, neurons that fire together, wire together. Okay. So what, when you're doing something new, the connections won't be as strong as they were, unless you, until you get to the point where you repeat that behavior, that pattern, and then those new connections are becoming formed and that can actually link and change in new behaviors as well. Imagine when people invest the time as I have and talk to you about what you're doing and the space you work in, that it's a pretty logical step-by-step. Okay. That sounds great to me. Like this is a viable treatment option and it can improve the quality of life for your neighbors, for your family, for your friends. It can improve the quality of life for a lot of people. Who isn't in favor of that? Everybody is. So I suppose my next question is, because not enough people know about this, how do we bridge the gap between something that everyone can agree is a viable treatment option and then implementing said treatment option? Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think it comes, it always starts with education, but it also starts with the innovators. You know, I'm reminded of the Apple commercial, right? You know, the crazy ones who were crazy enough to think that it was possible. And, and, and I look at the mentors. I mean, that's where I can speak with such confidence is the mentors that I have in this work have proven this over time. You know, I'm talking about Barbara Aerosmith Young, Howard Eaton, uh, Norman Deutsch and his work in, in looking at, at neuroplasticians out there. Um, Luria, who inspired Barbara, uh, Michael Mersnick, all of these folks are doing remarkable things and, they, and they've proven this. And if the will is inside of the individual, they deserve a chance to choose. And the fact that a lot of the times they're not, I mean, quite honestly, Scott, some people don't for whatever reason, or aren't yet ready for this sort of a platform or program, because we're so close to what we're currently doing. The change is scary. I think we just acknowledge that change is scary. Like it just absolutely 100% is scary. And, but if we have a goal and we want to try to get back to work, we want to live a fuller, better life. Let's get more opportunities to do that. And on the cognitive side, there's just not enough opportunities out there. Well, Mark, you referenced earlier in this conversation that you have heard from countless people who have gone through the Bears program, used it successfully, and they will tell anyone they can, look, this needs to be out there more often. I'm also interested on, I'm also interested in those people who distribute it, those people who work at OT or PT clinics, what feedback do you get from them once they've gone through training, once they've got this tool in their toolkit that they say, we can use this as an option? Well, I mean, one of the people I'm I'm reminded of is a chiropractor in the East Coast. And he's like, where have you guys been? (laughs) I've been waiting for you because he works in kind of this functional medicine side of the world. And on the physical side, looking at blood biomarkers and all that kind of stuff can tailor make 
you know, nutritional plans and physical plans and work on the mental health side, but the cognitive pillar was just missing. You know, that was, you know, your standard, like this just makes so much sense. Another physiotherapist up in Squamish, she specializes in vestibular. Uh, her name's Karina Stenberg. Uh, shout out Karina. She's amazing. And her kin, Jordan McCarl, who's also remarkable. She's specialized in treating these vestibular symptoms, which are a real problem. And she can really help a lot of people get better through that treatment alone. But many still have cognitive symptoms. So for her, she's like, exactly what you said, Scott, this is so logical. Let's go. <laughs> like, that's how fast it was. But for others, it's okay, let's pilot it. You know, let's try this out. And I think that population of clinics has been, again, very, very positive, but you got to be willing to, you got to actually want to do something about cognition. If that's really not in your practice, that's fine. Do what you do and do it really well. But if you're in the cognitive side and especially occupational therapists and speech pathologists and physiatrists, I always want people to learn something. Oftentimes people don't know what a physiatrist is. Now I am dyslexic and I misspell things all the time, but it's, it's not a, it's not a misspelled psychiatrist. It's a functional medicine. It's a, a rehabilitation doctor. Okay. It's a physiatrist. Okay. Uh, physical learned medicine. something just now. I learned something just now. Thank yes. you. Physical medicine and rehabilitation. So physiatrist. So each one of those people that I speak with, they're immediately uh, interested in this sort of thing. And my encouragement to them is if you're interested in learning more about this, I mean, check it out, see if it meets your need, because we, you know, I'm obviously very passionate about this. You know, we want to see this more readily available in, in communities. This is what gives me hope, Mark. This is what gives me hope because you have data with your program that shows improvement of life for a lot of people. And on the other side, as I referenced earlier, and I truly believe this, people in this field go to work every day because they want to help other people. And that's what it begins with, a want to be there on both sides on the patient side, on the person distributing or using the tool on this side. And that gives me hope, Mark, because I think people listening to this who want to help people in this world, and I think that's most of us. I really do. They say, okay, if you can give me another way to help people, how do I get there? What do I do? Oh, 100%, Scott. And I, I believe that too. I, I believe all of us want to help. Now, it's just a matter where you can only do so much. So if your cause is, is cancer care, wonderful. It needs your help. You know, if your cause is, you know, uh, diabetes, wonderful. We need your help. That's a very, very worthy cause. But if, you're, if your cause is the brain and if your cause is improving quality of life and you, if your cause is really helping the underdog, which I think has been a theme in my life, this is one that needs a lot of help right now, a lot of help. And for the people listening, there's a way that you can help because our team, the other part of this, and, you know, you've met some of, some of our team, Scott, this is a committed group of people who will go through a wall for you. And I think that's a part of football I miss is, is the continuity of, of the team working together towards a shared goal. That's what I love the most about that game, I think, and, and most sports. And the team of people that we have around, you know, we're a small organization here in Vancouver, uh, but we're currently working with a couple of major uh, organizations in the United States and, and many across Canada. And we want that to grow because we want options to be present and awareness of this problem and solutions to this problem available in other places. You're the one who brought up football. I wondered which one of us it would be a couple of <laughs> football guys having a conversation, but you did it first. 
So with that in mind, I heard a football coach the other day. He's not a head coach, but he's a coach in the National Football League. And he said something that I agree with 100%, and I'm sure you do as well. You know what players want? They want to be coached. They want to improve. But you got to coach them properly. And this is where I think the opportunity exists. I think that people working in this space want to help and they want to improve. You can coach them up. You guys can coach them up. And you've got some coaching coming up here pretty quick, if I'm not mistaken, at the beginning of February. We do. Yeah. Starting February 1st, Scott. And I I think that's so true. And I do believe most people do want to be coached. And in this area, I mean, the awareness is growing now for this platform. And, you know, we're hearing from people all the time now. And if this is an area that you're really passionate about, and it's been hard to treat, just reach out to us. There's no obligation. There's no nothing like just reach out. Like it'll probably be me you hear from. (laughs) And, you know, we're at that point of growth where we we really want those early adopters in the door um, to work alongside, not just with us, but other groups of clinics that think the same way as you. Oh, people who have found this podcast may have the answer to this already, but not everybody has it at their disposal. How do they get a hold of you? How do they get in touch, Mark? Yeah. So you can just go over to www.abiwellness.com and all the information's right there, or you can just email directly info at abiwellness.com. And you can find it all right there. This is the problem you and I have when we speak, though. We run out of time. Yes. We run out of time because this gets pretty intense and pretty fun and pretty passionate in a hurry. If you'll have me back for another episode, there's another big conversation I want to have with you. And if we want to tease that a little bit, it's the conversation about how the world of dealing with concussion, traumatic brain injury, dealing with something you mentioned earlier the opioid crisis that we're facing right now, mental health, mental illness. There's a crossover with all of this. And I want to have a bigger discussion about that with you in a future episode, if you'll have me back, because I'm really interested in this. You're always welcome here, Scott. You know that. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm grateful to have you uh, helping us out with this and uh, helping to spread the word and the message, you know, for people that are listening, that might have a loved one that might have, that might be struggling, trying to treat this population. I'm not saying we'll have all the answers, but we're committed to helping and we're committing to serving in the ways that we can within our community and linking you up with the resources that may be able to help. Well, I really appreciate what you and your team are doing. And I appreciate being involved in this conversation as well. I've learned a lot and it continues to be of great interest to me. We're going to have another one of these. All right. hundred percent. Thanks, Scott. And thanks, everybody. Thank you so much for continuing to listen to the Brain Mastery podcast. We're super grateful for the community of supporters of this podcast. Again, this podcast was designed with an intention and an objective, and that was to share stories of rehabilitation, of recovery from brain injury, to really interview some of the leaders out there to provide more hope to community members. So thank you again for all of the support with that. If this episode resonated for you and had value for you, we just ask, please download and share it. Please also, if you wouldn't mind, rate the podcast. Those ratings really matter and help us to spread the message. If you're a clinical provider out there, meaning a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, or somebody who just works with people with brain injury and want to learn more about the Bears platform, we've tried to make it as easy as possible for you to do so. Just 
go to www.abiwellness.com to learn more about how to get involved. Uh, Training is very accessible and we've tried to make it very, very easy for people to get access to this neuro rehabilitation platform. Thank you again for your support and we'll see you on the next episode. The statements made regarding the BEARS platform and ABI Wellness have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of the BEARS platform has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. The BEARS platform is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All information presented here is not meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from healthcare practitioners. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. The Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act requires this notice.